Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Chris Genders. I'm the youth pastor for the church. Um, real quick, uh, there, there's with Community Bash, there's a ton of people that uh, do a lot of the stuff um, that get this done. I mean, it's, it's not any one person, but there is one person that drives this, and that's Nate. And I just want you guys to give it up for Nate for spearheading this whole thing. So. He, uh, he hatched the idea a few years ago, and um, actually probably five years ago, and it got shot down a couple times, and, and then it came back because he's persistent, and he's, he's got this gift of, of creativity, and, and uh, so just seeing all that come together, and um, it was just amazing. There's so many people. I mean, it's not just one man, but there's, there's so many people that work behind the scenes, and um, there's people that are up front, but uh, hundreds of people that serve in that, and so I just want to say thank you. Um, I was... Uh, I didn't have a role this year, which was kind of good because I'll explain why there's a lot going on, but um, it was nice just to be able to be here and be a part of the church, and as many of you were as well, but that, we were able to do that because of the work of so many people, so thank you uh, very much. <clears throat> one of the, before I start my sermon, one of the, the core values that I have um, as a man of God, but then as a pastor, is authenticity and transparency. Um, you know, I, I, many of you have heard me preach before, you've heard me talk about my history, my background. Um, you know, it's not always been good, and there's been some really dumb things I've done in the past, and, and I've talked about those from the stage. Um, I've been very authentic with you in that. And so um, this is one of those moments where I'm just going to be authentic with you and let you know that as, as excited as I am to preach today, as I'm, I'm looking forward to bringing the word, um, I, I am hurting um, this morning. Um, it's a combination of, of rejoicing and hurting, celebration and mourning. Um, my mentor of, t- of 18 years died uh, last week. And uh, this is a picture of, of he and his wife, Lauren and Deanna. Uh, Lauren Trethway was a, a State Farm executive. I crossed paths with him when I was 22. Uh, after graduating college, my wife and I moved up to Chicagoland. We got plugged into a little church, and, and uh, Lauren was one of the elders in the church. And he also led this Wednesday morning men's group. And it was a hand po- hand-picked, selected uh, group of men that he wanted to lead and influence. And, and he, he had to see something in you. And for whatever reason, at 22, 23 years old, he saw something in me that I don't think I even saw in myself. And, and so he extended this invitation to join this Wednesday morning men's group. And, and we began to, to meet. I was the youngest one there, right? I, I come to this group. It's 6 a.m. at Panera. And uh, I love Panera and all this stuff. But uh, 6 a.m. Panera, and I'm sitting around, and there's, like, guys that are 30, 40, 50 years old um, around the table. And I'm this punk 22-year-old and only been a Christian for about four or five years by that point. And, uh, but started to grow. And Lauren began to, to give me opportunities to teach. He would, he would have to travel for his job with State Farm, and, and he would be gone for a Wednesday morning. And he turned to me to lead this group, to teach these guys scripture. And I was just amazed and kind of at times obviously dumbfounded by why he would do that. Um, but he saw something in me, he saw potential. And uh, so I began to lead this group of 30, 40, 50 year old men in studying scripture. Well, from there, uh, we began this mentoring relationship where he extended invitations and said, hey, let's meet after group. And so we would stay for an hour, and, and his time was valuable. I mean, he, he needed to get to work. He was an important person in State Farm and in the lives of, of hundreds of people. But he chose to invest an extra hour every week in me. Uh, when, I, when I was wrestling with going into ministry to become a pastor, he was the one that helped uh, guide me through that decision-making process. And so we, we've spent 18 years wrestling over scripture together and, and, and leadership decisions. You know, when I, when I chose to resign from my previous church and come here, uh, he was a key player in that decision. And in fact, it was one of my references. So I think Bill or somebody on the search team uh, got to talk to Lauren um, during that process. And as I go through things here these last seven years, um, you know, he was the one I called 
uh, he was the one I picked the phone and said, hey, I'm going through this. What do you think? What's your insights? Where do we go with this? And uh, about a year ago, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And if you know about anything about cancer, I didn't know about pancreatic cancer until he was diagnosed, but it's an extremely aggressive uh, form of cancer. And went through a procedure called the Whipple procedure, uh, which is a very elaborate, time-consuming, um, painful process. And chemotherapy seemed to come out of that well, um, really did, seemed to come out of that well. And then about six months ago, his blood counts were a little off, and so, so we need to run some more tests. So he brought him back in and, and said, it's back. Um, if you do chemo, you have 18 to 24 months to live. Um, if you don't do chemo, if you choose not to, you have 12 months uh, to live. And Lauren is a, a firm believer in Jesus, trusts in the promises and the hopes of Scripture, knows the, the resurrection of the dead, holds on to all of that, but he's also a family man. And so he said, I'm going to fight. I want, I want more time with my family. And so he actually offered up his body for an experimental uh, drug that they were testing on to see if that was going to work. And his body just didn't take it. Um, the regimen of chemotherapy um, just sucked uh, the life out of him. This is a picture uh, from about five weeks ago. And uh, one of my favorite pictures. It's not how I want to see Lauren. Well, I'm just be honest. It's not how I want to see my mentor. Um, but it is, you know, what he looked like. And what I love about it is even in the midst of cancer and chemotherapy, that smile is there. When, when, when they called him in and said, listen, it's even worse, you have four weeks to live. His response was, he's laying on the table in the doctor's office, family's all around, and, and they said, you have four weeks to live. The only words he said, he sang an old hymn, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. That was his response. Amazing. I mean, he's been my teacher for 18 years, and he's taught me how to live for Jesus, and he is now in his death taught me how to die for Jesus, how to die holding on to the promises of Scripture. This picture was taken last week. <clears throat> That's his son, Chris. He's a, a church planter in New York City. Kind of roles of reverse there for father and son. But he died last Tuesday. Um, got the call Tuesday night and uh, have been processing through this. If you're a student in middle school and high school, you know I've been processing through this with you guys, so thank you for that, that freedom to do that. Um, but I leave today. Uh, we're flying out, I'm flying out to Vegas uh, later tonight, and funeral is this Thursday. Um, and uh, they, it's just going to be an incredible time of celebration. Uh, this is a man who, through Jesus, has touched so many lives. Um, you know, we think about roots and branches, and, you know, his roots were solidly planted in Jesus and in the Word. And his branches of influence into my life and, and hundreds of others like me. Um, and now extending into you guys as well. Most of you have never met Lauren, will never meet him, uh, him and his wife, but you've been influenced by him through me. And uh, I just want you to know, you know, what's going on in my life um, so that I'm not putting a fake happy smile up here. Um, as excited I am about the, the scripture and teaching, and I've got some jokes in there and all that good stuff, we're going to have fun. Um, and we're going to deal with a heavy topic this morning, but just, I would cover your prayers um, this week, you know, for the family. Deanna is his wife's name. Uh, Chris and Michelle are his kids, and then he's got eight grandchildren and uh, hundreds and thousands of people who are going to gather uh, this week in Las Vegas to celebrate his life. So I just want to pray. Um, I want to pray for uh, everything that's going to happen out there this week. Father, more than thanking you for Lauren, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that, that his life, his death, his resurrection, 
has made the promises of Scripture true, that death is not the final victor. Death has lost its sting. That in the face of Jesus, death could not stand. And while our bodies here on earth prior to our death are weak and frail, ravaged by cancer and illness, your word promises us that when Jesus comes back, we get a new body. And we're going to hold on to that promise. I'm holding on to that promise for Lauren right now. Father, I pray that you be with Deanna, uh, with Chris, Michelle, and the grandkids, and all of the people that are going to gather out there to celebrate this man's life and influence and to celebrate his love for you. I think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. It says, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. Father, thank you for putting a man like Lauren in my life who followed your son Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. This morning, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. i got to move on or else I'm going to cry. Um, Ephesians. We've been studying Ephesians uh, this summer, and uh, Bill's been going through that. Our lead pastor, children's pastor Dan, taught last Sunday. Um, I'm wrapping it up today, so I was given Ephesians chapter 6, uh, the end of it. But I want to put um, Ephesians chapter 6 in context uh, for you. Anytime you read scripture, always make sure you read it in context. Read the, the verses before and after, the paragraphs before and after, the chapter before and after, so you understand uh, what the author was trying to say. And, and so we read this, this text in Ephesians 6, and but it's really part of a broader context from Ephesians 4 to 6. And Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's giving us very practical ways to fulfill God's purposes uh, for the church here in this world. And so he, he stresses things like unity. Uh, we need to be united in our faith. Uh, maturity. We need to seek out spiritual maturity. The renewal of the personal life, saying, hey, listen, how you live your life as a follower of Jesus is critical, and we need to make sure you're living that appropriately. I mean, he talks about uh, deferring to others in our personal relationships, putting their needs above our own. And he illustrates that with husbands and wives and children and parents and slaves and masters. And if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Dan talk about, uh, you know, employers, employees in, in today's kind of world. Uh, but then he closes out with this, this passage in Ephesians 6, uh, where he says, get ready, because there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a spiritual conflict. If, if you as the church, if you as followers of Jesus, are truly living for Jesus, you are going to go through this thing called spiritual warfare. And, and you know, we don't talk much about spiritual warfare in the church. I'll get to that here in a little bit. But if, if you're new with us, if you came to Community Bash this weekend, checking out Great Oaks, and you said, hey, I'm going to come to church on Sunday morning, good morning, welcome. We're going to talk about Satan and demons this morning. So <laughs> we're glad you're here. It's not every Sunday, but it, we need to, because this is really what... Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6, and we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Um, I, I don't know about you and guys, you know, especially, I think, we all love the movie Braveheart, right? Uh, I mean, man, William Wallace. You can't, you can't move past a guy that stands up for truth and justice in the American way. Oh, wait, that's Superman. Um, but William Wallace stands up in the face of opposition, of, of, of you know, the, the uh, nation coming on him, and says, you know what, not on my watch. He says, it's not going to happen. And when they pull out that sword, I mean, you put a sword like this in a guy's hands. I mean, guys, right? Just help, help our women understand this. Like this right here, in my hands, I'm invincible. Like, come at me, bro, because I will take you down 
with this thing. And there's just something like all my ninja skills from my childhood are coming back. Um, you know, you watch like um, uh, Karate Kid as a kid, and all of a sudden you're doing ninja kicks off the thing, you know, all that stuff. You watch, you watch, um, you know, the movie uh, Braveheart, and you can grab a sword and you just start swinging it, and you. Pff, there's nobody in the front row, thankfully, this morning. But this is just like this amps me up, because men help our women understand this. We were made to be fighters. We, we are hardwired as warriors, as protectors. I better put this down. I'm going to have too much. I'm going to be distracted by it. This is awesome. Uh, this is a sword. Um, one of my friends got this for his son when he turned 13. And uh, just to remind him that we are in a spiritual battle. It's a decorative piece. It's not for actual fight. It's not for battle. But men, we are hardwired to fight. We're hardwired to, to be a warrior, to protect. That's part of our, our inner DNA. Now, you need to know, being 6'4", 250, bald, beard, I'm a little intimidating. People tell me I'm a little intimidating, but I'm a teddy bear. Like, like there is, I, I, I've never been in a fight in my life. I, I've never had anybody throw down on me. I've never punched anybody, except for my sisters, um, but they don't count. Um, it, I guess it's that big man syndrome, you know, being a little big. I was about this size in high school, just a little smaller, not much smaller, but I never had anybody throw down on me. Um, there was one time, though, I was on a backpacking trip uh, with my best friend Alex. We were in Iowa. Um, this was a, a few years after I got married, before I had kids. And we're, we're, we're hiking through this, uh, like, big state park in Iowa. I'd never been there before. And at one point, the trail connects with the road and the, the highway that goes through the state park. And so we've got to walk alongside the road. And it's a beautiful spring day. And all the local people are starting to come out. And, and you know, most people just drive by. They don't even say anything. Kind of look at you weird, like, why are these guys carrying everything on their backs? You know, nothing they know we have trucks are for. And, um, but then these, like, three jacked-up pickup trucks with, like, Confederate flags, smokestacks, mud tires come by. And as they're roaring past us, country music blaring, of course, they, they yell some smart aleck comments out the window at us. And I think, oh, whatever, you know, no big deal. They just keep going. Well, like 10 minutes later, one of the trucks is heading back towards us. And I noticed as it's coming towards us, it's got like eight guys in the truck now. And I thought, what are they doing? And right when they got on top of us, they slammed on the brakes, skidded to the side of the road. And I'm thinking, we're going to throw down. Like, seriously, this is about to happen. We are going to throw down against eight guys in Iowa. And thank God I've got Alex with me. Because Alex is a county officer, he's a third degree black belt, he, he teaches jujitsu, and he dabbles in amateur mixed martial arts. And I'm like, if anybody is going to take care of like seven of these eight guys, it's going to be Alex. <laughs> and this is going to be awesome to watch. And I'll figure out what to do with one guy, because um, I've never been in a fight, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, they end up just skidding to the side of the road, did a three-point turnaround, never said a word, just went back the other I don't know why they did it. Went back the other direction. My heart's beating fast. Adrenaline's going. I wish I had a sword, you know, all this stuff. All I've got is like this big hiking stick. I'm like, that's not sharp. That's not going to do anything. And so we're, we're walking along, and I, I say to Alex, I'm like, man, I, I thought we were going to throw down. He's like, yeah, I did, I did too, Chris, honestly. And I'm like, man, I'm just praising God, thanking God I'm with you, you know, county cop, third-degree black belt, jiu-jitsu, mixed martial arts. And he starts laughing. He says, I shouldn't tell you this, but I was thanking God I was with you. <laughs> I'm like, no, you shouldn't tell me that. He's like, big guy with a big stick. They don't know you're a teddy bear. Like, they're, you're just intimidating to look at. But every guy in here knows 
that there may come a point where we have to throw down against somebody, where somebody gets in our face. And I'm not talking just in your childhood and middle school and high school. I'm talking as adults. Somebody gets in your face, like your DNA is not to, not to back away. Your DNA is to, to throw down. And especially if somebody comes up against your family. If somebody starts to do something against your family, like, God, ladies, you just need to know our protector rises up in us. Like, we're going to war against this person. A, a couple of years ago, it was like 2, 3 in the morning, um, Morgan, my little girl, wakes us up. And then she says, there's somebody at the door. Somebody's trying to get in the house. And I'm like, Morgan, seriously, it's 3 in the morning. Just go to bed. But then I hear it. I heard it. There was somebody at the front door. And the protector in me rose up. And I go running out of my bedroom. I'm flipping on lights. I'm running down the stairs, bust open the door. I'm like, ah, get out of here. And then I saw the raccoon go. (laughs) And I realized I was staining my underwear. (laughs) Thankfully, it was 3 in the morning. The Apostle Paul understood this. When he, when, he, when he sits down to write Ephesians 6, he's got this battle in mind. Not, not battle against raccoons, not really a, a, an idea of a, of a physical battle, but a spiritual battle. And he says, listen, you're, you're going to go to war. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll have it up on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, we'll give you a second to turn there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. <clears throat> It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness uh, in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Uh, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, uh, which is the word of God. You know, when, when I looked at the, um, the illustration and, and I thought, you know, yeah, we're going to talk about this. Obviously, my, my, my first scripture, my first thought was this. I mean, we're going to talk about the armor of God. And, and, and for first century Christians, when they would have read Paul's letter, they wouldn't have thought of King Arthur and Knights of the Round Table and suits of armor. They would have thought of something like this, and that's what they would have visualized. But I think there's something bigger here we need to talk about. Because we all know there's heroes and villains, right? We all know this. I mean, I did a Google search for some of the, the top heroes and villains, and, and here's some of the people that came up. Uh, we've got Batman and the Joker, right? I mean, they're just going to war all the time. Uh, you've got Superman and, and Lex Luthor. Uh, this is from a co- comic book. I didn't realize Lex Luthor had toys like that. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, we've got, you know, thanks to the Avengers, we've got Thor and Loki. Uh, we've got Harry Potter and Voldemort. Uh, for those of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, right? I mean, just epic hero-villain battle. But there was one that I realized, I mean, I didn't even need to do Google, Google search on this one. There was one hero-villain combination that trumps them all. It is like more epic than Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. More epic than, than Batman and the Joker. I mean, just more awe-inspiring to watch these two go to war. That's Perry the Platypus and Doofenshmirtz. <laughs> if you don't know who they are, find a kid and ask him. But we all understand that in, in stories and movies and popular culture, 
we have heroes and we have villains. And every hero has a villain. Every hero has an arch nemesis. And the same is true in Christianity. We have a hero, and that is Jesus. We also have a villain, and that is Satan. Uh, earlier this summer, I had the chance to go to Cincinnati with our middle school students, and uh, we spent a week investing in a community there. And I had incredible leaders that, that went with me as well. It was a great uh, just kind of family experience as we went. And uh, One of my favorite pictures uh, from this whole trip was this picture. And we were sitting poolside, you know, and uh, at the end of the week, we're staying in a hotel with the students, and I don't remember exactly what's going on, but as I sat here and took this picture, I realized that, like, you know, Shelly there in the middle has got Nate, the goody two-shoes, the, the always does what's right, you know, never breaks any rules on his right side, or on her, her right side, then you got Clint over here, uh, you know, Clint's like the jokester, the sarcastic guy, the one who's always kind of needling you a little bit, you know, he's always got a smart comment to give to you. And as I, I looked at the picture later, I realized this is like in the cartoons where you have the angel and the devil on one shoulder, right? Right? So Nate's the little angel over here on the side, and then, you know, Clint's Satan over here on the side. And then I looked at the picture, and I was like, dude, he's got horns! What in the world? Clint has horns! Now, Clint was in first service. He's like, you just kind of left it hanging there. The church thinks I'm Satan. <laughs> he is! No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. His whole family's right here. No, Clint's an awesome guy. And one of the things I love about him is that he, he jokes around. You know, like when you're in middle school and your best friend, you like pick on him and hit him and stuff? That's Clint. So, like, I love Clint. He's a great guy. But he is a jokester, right? And the shirt, I had to clarify, first service, they're like, you kind of left the shirt hanging. Our youth ministry staff doesn't go around wearing <laughs> Satan shirts. It's, um, what's the race? Spartan race. Warrior Dash. Just Warrior Dash shirt. So, one of the mud runs. So, it was a Warrior Dash. He just happened to be wearing it. It was like a great picture, but I love this. And, and it illustrates what we're talking about today, right? We, we have this, this hero Jesus, and we have this, this villain Satan. And let's be honest, we're, we're fine with Jesus. We, we got no problem with Jesus. We, we read the Bible about Jesus and his life and his teaching, and, and even the miracles, even though we may not really fully understand how all that works, it's Jesus. And so Jesus is God, and Jesus can do those things. And we're good with that. We got no problem with Jesus. But then we read Satan. And demons and spiritual warfare. And for whatever reason, I don't know if you're like me, but my mind goes to this, well, that was just an early civilization. First century, we're 21st century. They didn't really understand what was going on in the world around them, so they came up with this whole idea of Satan and demons and, and this adversary. Have you ever considered the fact that the world all around us talks about the dark side of the supernatural more than the church does? Have you ever considered that maybe one of Satan's greatest weapons is to believe there is no enemy? Because if there is no enemy, we have no need for a hero. If we don't have a villain to run away from, we don't have a hero to run to. But if we believe the Bible, and we believe Jesus, we believe angels, then we've got to believe in Satan. We've got to believe in demons. The supernatural is real. Spiritual warfare is real. There is a very real battle taking place in our world, for this world and for our souls. And we don't really have to look far to find that. And go to your Facebook news feed, right? Ferguson, Missouri. All the, the race riots that are going down there. You read about um, the, the ISIS killing Christians over in Iraq. You read about things like pancreatic cancer. 
ALS. You read about children dying around the world for lack of, of clean water and clean food. You read about, you know, I, I got a text from uh, Dan Haney, who's our pastor, pastoral care pastor. He's a chaplain at OSF. Last night in OSF, he was with four families who had uh, teenagers, white suburban rich kids who OD'd on heroin. We don't have to look far, do we, to know that this world is falling apart, that there's a very real battle waging going on for this world and for our souls. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, says, for our struggle is, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I remember when I was a young Christian, and this whole idea of spiritual warfare was was brand new to me, first introduced to me. We got this, you know, hero, villain, you know, good, evil, uh, light, dark. And somebody put in my hands a, a book by Frank Peretti. I don't know if you guys ever read Frank Peretti. He wrote a book called This Present Darkness and takes a, just creates a, a fictional account of this spiritual warfare that's going on. And I remember reading this as a college student, getting honestly a little freaked out. I'm like, are there demons in the room right now? Are there angels here? What's going on? I'm not sure what to do with all this. But he does an incredible job of, of visually, um, narratively illustrating what's happening in an unseen world around us. You know, Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief has come, Satan has come, to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We're great with the second part of that verse. No problem. Jesus, we're planting our flag in you. You've come to give us life. Oh, there's somebody who's trying to kill us? Destroy us? Steal away everything from us? I'm not too sure about that. You see, here's the deal. Satan doesn't care about nominal Christians. He doesn't care if, about people who uh, say they're a Christian but don't do anything with it. Who don't really live for Jesus in this world. If, if that's you, Satan doesn't care about you, to be honest. You're not a threat to him. But if you begin to take your faith seriously, if you begin to, to commit your whole life to Jesus, uh, to advancing his kingdom in this world, to, to take on the mantle of spiritual leadership in your home, in your parenting, in the church, in the community, in the schools, in your marketplace, if we begin to take on that mantle of spiritual leadership, Satan begins to take notice. It's like the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Uh, there's a five-acre uh, grassy lot in the middle of the Pentagon, our, our military leadership. Every nation in the world that has long-range nuclear weapons has a, a missile aimed at that five-acre grassy spot because they know that if they can take out the military leadership of the country, uh, then the country is more likely to fall. Satan understands that, too. He's looking for men and women and students and children who are saying, you know what, I'm going to be a leader for Jesus. I'm going to advance his kingdom in my school, in my family, in, in my marketplace, in my community, in my church. He's looking for those people, and he's going to take you out. Uh, when, when I was in my last church, we had elders that, that would move into the, the role of elder in the church, and I would always find a time to sit down with them and say, listen, um, your marriage is about to go down the toilet, and your kids are going to annoy you, drive you crazy, you're going to get frustrated, your business may start to falter, and they're like, wow, this is a great pep talk, Chris. And I'm like, hey, welcome to leadership. Um, but it's true. These were men who uh, said before the church, I will be an example to you of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, you can look to me and learn what it means to love Jesus, and Satan doesn't like that. Satan's going to go after that. 
<clears throat> and what he's going to do, he's going to pray in your weaknesses. He knows your weaknesses. Pride, greed, lust, alcohol, drugs, status, position. And Satan knows what to go after. He's smart. Uh, my own personal weaknesses, I've shared this with many people, uh, my own personal weaknesses that, that would ever take me out of ministry. I've always said this. There's two things that would, would take me out of ministry, being a pastor. One is the, the desire for more money. Uh, number two is a moral failure, probably an affair. Those are the two things that I know Satan is going to attack me in. And so I, I begin to watch out for that. I begin to set up safeguards against those things in my life. Uh, whatever your weakness may be, when you begin to take your faith seriously, when you begin to, to step into a role of leadership, not just positional leadership, but leadership at its core of influencing others for Jesus, you basically just put a target on your chest. It's kind of like this far side cartoon, or maybe you remember it. The caption is cut off, but it says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. Right? <laughs> Imagine that, you're a deer, and that's your birthmark. But it illustrates in a good way a truth. When we begin to influence others for Jesus, we put a target on our chest. See, with this whole idea of spiritual warfare, I'm just scratching the surface. There's a whole lot more that, that needs to be talked about, that could be talked about. I mean, this is a, a lengthy sermon series if we want it to be. Um, but I've got one, one Sunday. But here, here's my word of caution. Most people, if you've heard of spiritual warfare before, um, you, you might go to one of two extremes. Uh, one is extreme is, is a, an, um, what I'm going to call an overemphasis where every sickness, every illness, every sin, every bad thing that happens to you is the work of Satan in your life. Uh, the other extreme is uh, underemphasis, uh, complete rejection of the work of Satan in this world. Uh, many people land on one of those two extremes. I think we have to have a biblical approach and recognize that there are times where, yeah, spiritual warfare is true. Uh, there were times where Satan or where Jesus would come upon somebody who, who was ill or paralytic or, or, or whatever, and, and he would cast demons out of them. And then other times he would come up on somebody who was sick and, and he would just heal them with no mention of the demonic. Not everything was spiritual warfare. Not everything was demonic. Uh, Paul, who writes in Ephesians chapter 6, um, you know, put on the full armor of God to stand against the devil's schemes, to wage war against the evil one. Also writes in Romans 6 to wage war against the sin in ourselves. Galatians says we reap what we sow. I guess what I'm trying to say is don't blame Satan for your dumb decisions. Okay. Uh, there are times where Satan is going to influence you, but he cannot make you make a decision. He will simply put that opportunity, that temptation, that desire in front of you. You have to walk through that door. That's your choice. And, and sometimes it's not even Satan in it. You just made a dumb decision. I, I had a college student a couple years ago. She posted on Facebook, man, I got a speeding ticket and I flunked my test. The world's against me. I'm like, no, it's not. You drove too fast. You didn't study. Don't, don't blame the world. You were an idiot, you know? Sometimes we blame Satan for our idiotic choices, and we really shouldn't. Uh, the key is we've got to find that balance. What is the, the biblical approach? And you're going to have to study this. You're going to have to look into this. But see, and, and while we know that Jesus has overcome this world, we know that Jesus has won. Jesus is victorious. And Jesus has conquered Satan, and yet for some reason, God still allows Satan to have influence in this world. So the same Jesus that said, I have overcome this world, also said, you're going to have trouble in this world. So what do we do? I, I think we be aware of it. Uh, like I was introduced to this idea in college, be aware that there is this battle going on and that spiritual warfare is true. 
Be aware of your weaknesses. Uh, set up safeguards to protect yourself from where Satan might attack you. Uh, keep growing in your, in your faith with God, uh, through prayer especially, and, and through study of the word. Remember when Jesus was tempted, uh, how did he respond? He responded with scripture. He said, but don't you know the word of God says this? He put scripture back in Satan's face. And I think accountability relationships. Have men and, and women in your lives uh, who know your weaknesses, who have permission to ask you about your weaknesses. Uh, you know, after I, I did first service, it was, it was very humbling. Um, I had a whole group of guys that I've been pouring my life into and that, that I, I call really good friends here in the church. And they just like swarmed at me. I was a little nervous, actually. I didn't know what was happening. They swarmed at me. And, and they just came up here and circled around me, and they laid hands on me and prayed for me. It was one of the coolest moments I've ever had in ministry, honestly. Because it was these guys going, hey, we know you're human. We know you're hurting. We know you're transparent. We know you're weak. We know you make mistakes. We love you anyway. And we're here to stand beside you. And you need people like that in your life. See, I don't, just in closing, I didn't need to give you a sermon today to discourage you more about this world, did I? Like, I'm, I'm sorry. We don't have to look far. Uh, we just turn on the news, we look around us, we look at all the pain and the heartache and the hurt that's going on in this world. But what we have to do as followers of Jesus is recognize that sometimes that's Satan influencing the world. And in those moments of discouragement, those moments of, of frustration, because I've been there, I've thrown up my hands and going, God, when is enough enough? How many people have to die? How many people have to be exploited? How many people have to, have to suffer? Where are you, God? Those moments of going, are we even making a difference in this world? Is, is the name of Jesus making a difference in this world? Is, is Great Oaks Community Church making a difference in this world? I've been there. I've had those moments. And in the moment when I stop talking and yelling at God, I hear him say, but what if Jesus hadn't come? What if the church wasn't here? What if Great Oaks wasn't here? You may not feel like the world is being renewed, but it's being changed because of your efforts. If you're at that point, as a follower of Jesus, where you're looking around the world and you see all the hurt, you see all the pain, and you're about to give up, thinking, what's the point? Why am I living for Jesus? Hold on. Hold on. Paul writes in Galatians, do not grow weary in doing good. I've held on to those words for many years in ministry. Do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you remain faithful. Let's pray. Father, we are looking forward to your son coming again. We're looking forward to this world being redeemed and restored, renewed. A world where there is no sin, there is no disease, there is no death. A world where men like Lauren would never have to experience cancer. A world where young girls would not be sexually exploited, where kids wouldn't go to bed hungry, dying because they haven't had a meal in days. A world where people aren't shot and beheaded. Father, we, we, we pray for that world. We don't know what you're waiting for, why you're holding back, but we're going to hold on to the promises of Scripture that one day your son will come. 
and will change this world, change us. And that for those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, we have the hope and the promise of a new life with you, resurrected from the dead, new bodies, new spirits, sown physical, harvested spiritual. Father, we hold on to those promises even in the face of great pain and anguish. Father, we pray for protection against Satan. We pray for leaders of families, churches, businesses, all of us who call in the name of Jesus. Father, would you, would you just protect us? Help us to be aware of this spiritual battle going on around us and that Satan is trying to take us out of those roles of influence in this world. Protect our students as they go onto our campuses and boldly proclaim, proclaim the name of Jesus. Father, that is a tough, tough environment to be a Christian in. And Lord, I just praise you for those students who are willing to do that, to stand in the gap. Father, we praise you for your son Jesus. We thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. We thank you that he conquered death. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you all for being here this weekend. See you next Sunday.